0: Welcome to RF. My name is Sammy. I'm the campus minister here. And if you've been with us, we're, we're doing a series called Portraits of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And the goal every every week is to kind of take a look at Jesus afresh and ask ourselves, Do we know the real Jesus? Sometimes the version of the Jesus we know might not be Jesus as he actually is presented to us in scripture. And tonight what I want to do is look at a passage from John 4. And it's a long one, so bear with me as I read it. And I want to say before I start, you know, sermons are funny, talks are funny. Sometimes the way they come to you uh, is a little bit random. And the way this one came to me was actually having, uh, having dinner with a friend named John Stein, so you know him if you've been in RUF. And we were just talking about uh, our days, and he had driven over from Charlotte that day, and he had been listening. He, had, he actually had ironically tuned into a very conservative Christian radio station, the kind that are a little bit hard to listen to sometimes with preaching that sometimes is hard to listen to because it's very uh, brimstone, fire and brimstone. And heard this, heard this sermon, and he just gave me the nugget of this idea, and that's where this is coming from tonight. So this is actually randomly coming from a pastor. I don't even know his name, but the idea was so great that I could not share it. But let me read the passage first, and then we'll talk about it. So John 4, 1 to 30. Here we go. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was uh, making and baptizing... Yeah. Got it. Hold on. A little brain freeze there. Let's start this over. (laughs) And here we go again. Now, when Jesus fired that the Pharisees, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria, which Jews typically avoided. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus... Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which is noon, the hottest part of the day, which is important. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And literally in the Greek it says forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And this is where the conversation takes a turn. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back from buying the food, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive into what I want to talk about. Let's pray first. Jesus, we thank you that these kinds of conversations are here for us, that you meet us, that you were the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means you meet us in the same ways that you met this woman by the well who had a past, who in some ways is covered in shame because of her story and in some ways is desperately seeking uh, her soul is thirsty. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the ways that you uh, gently met with her and talked to her and brought her to a place where she saw her need for you and brought her into your kingdom even that day, even in that conversation. And, Lord, I pray that you would take this conversation that you had and that you would impress it upon our hearts and that you would say to us the things that we need to hear you say. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So what I want to do tonight is think about this idea of thinking about evangelism looking at this passage. Evangelism is funny because you talk about it and typically two things happen. One is you've had a bad experience with it, either doing it or being on the receiving end of it. Or two, you feel guilty because you feel like you should do more of it. That you should be the kind of person who talks more about the gospel to your roommates, to your friends, etc., etc., I mentioned last week that this past summer we did this like cross-country road trip with my family where we packed our four kids into the car and drove out to Los Angeles to see my sister. And on the way home, I mentioned last week that we stopped and saw the Grand Canyon, which was beautiful. I shared that a little bit last week, why it was beautiful and why it's hard to be a parent. But something was ha- happened on the way out of seeing the Grand Canyon that I'll never forget. Because as we're walking out, there's this table of very, very aggressive... Some kind of evangelist. I'm not sure what kind of Christianity they were a part of. That it, it felt more like when a one of the preachers comes to campus and just starts like yelling at people and you, everything, and you either wants to go and punch them in the face, which you can't do because he will sue you, or just like sheepishly walk by and pretend like it's not happening. We chose option B with my family. The other awkward thing is with when you when you come up upon some aggressive street evangelism is when you are a Christian, like you know you don't want to enter that conversation of like trying to convince them like. No, really, like, these three questions you want to ask me, like, I, I know God, right? Like, like, I, like, I really, like, and then I want to do the thing where I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, ah, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're a Christian. I'm like, ah, oh, you know. So to avoid all of that that I thought that was going to happen, we just sheepishly walked by. And when I, when I was thinking about this and the way Jesus does evangelism, the way Jesus engages this woman who's got a past, like we all do, is so, so different from a lot of the kind, like the, at the Grand Canyon, or the, a lot of the kind that we've experienced. And I want to kind of think through really like three things as we think about the way Jesus approaches this woman that I think we have a ton to learn from, and I hope it's going to minister to you tonight. And here's the first thing I want you to see there are two things that are easy. It's easy to be gracious, but not pure. And it's also easy to be pure, but not gracious. And the, the beauty of this passage is Jesus is both of these things. We're going to get to that in a second. But when it comes to the way that we, we relate to other people, and especially the way we do evangelism, it's easy to be gracious but not pure. And it's also easy to be pure but not gracious, but it's hard to be both. I think with will for a second about this idea of it's easy to be pure but not gracious or gracious but not pure. There are four things going on in the life of this woman that kept religiously committed Jews away from engaging her. And here, there's sort of four things that kept people who were serious about their faith away from talking to this woman. The first was this, her race. Jews and Samaritans, see, you have to understand is the history between them. In the, in the 8th century BC, Samaritans were taken captive by the Assyrians. And part of what happened is they began to intermix their marriages. They began to intermix their faith. And Jews actually, the passage says it, looked at the Samaritans and thought, these are people that I don't associate with. They're unclean. In fact, the shocking thing in this passage is Jews typically, the reason John says Jesus had to go through Samaria is Jews normally when they took the route would go around Samaria because they had laws that said going and being in the midst of unclean people, an unclean race, so to speak, in this day, was something that made you unclean. And so this was one of the first things that kept people away from talking to her. It was she was not their kind. They were, she, they were, she was not of their people. The second thing that kept most people away was her religion. Like two Jews, Samaritans were, at best theologically suspect, at worst, heretics. They worshipped a different place. They kind of had a different Bible. They had a different temple. And so they were a little bit less than. Their worship style wasn't up to par. They were sort of looked down upon by the Jews, both because of race and religion. But there's also a third thing. But her gender. Like, I don't know if you notice in this passage, but the disciples are shocked that they come back to find Jesus talking with a woman. We would think, that's kind of weird. But the problem, like, Pharisees in this day, you have to understand the culture. Pharisees literally in this day had a prayer where they said, Lord, it's an awful prayer, but they said, Lord, thank you that I'm a man, that you did not make me a woman. Which, as an emotional woman, doesn't sound right to me. Women couldn't be Court, they couldn't be witnesses in court. Like it was a very, so to find a man talking, like literally Pharisees would avoid personal interactions, especially those in private. And so this is why the Jews come back and they're thinking, what is Jesus doing? What is he after here? And then the fourth thing, this is probably the biggest thing I want you to get, is the other kind of barrier, the other problem that kept religious Jews from talking to her was her sin. Jesus brings it out. He says, literally, you've been divorced five times. Which in that culture is the kiss of death. Like she would have been absolutely despised, which is why she's at the well at the sixth day. She's at the well in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. And it's funny because typically in this, in this day, women would go to the well early in the morning, the cool of the morning, together. And yet here is this woman by herself in the hottest part of the day, by herself. Why? Because men and women wanted nothing to do with her. And it's interesting because here's, here's Jesus. And he's having this interaction, and he engages her. But I want you to see that there are kind of two, two choices typically people would have had when it, when it came to interacting with her, when it came to telling her about God, when it came to telling her about the gospel. And here are kind of two different ways he could have gone. One, most people would have either judged her, which is already happening, judged her and avoided her, and said, I'm going to kind of pretend like you don't exist. I'm going to do, do what my family and I did, you know, sheepishly walk by, pretend like you don't exist, or join her. That I'm going to become a part of what you worship, I'm going to become a part of what you do, I'm going to become a part of the way, you, the way that you do things. I'm going to be, kind of join you in, it, in, it, in what you're doing. I, think I go two ways with this, because this is, I think, when I, when I think about evangelism in my life, these are the two ways, typically, that I have seen myself go and I see students go. Think about, first, judging. Thinking you're better than. Thinking I don't know how to relate to them, so I'm just going to, I feel better than them, or because I don't know how to relate to them, I'm just going to pretend like they don't exist. So, when I was a sophomore at USC, I joined a fraternity. And it was a funny fraternity because there were a lot of Christians in the fraternity, but there were also a lot of non Christians in the fraternity. And, and so, I lived in this hall my junior year. And there was a guy that lived across the hall from me that was kind of known for being the guy who loved to party. He loved to sleep around. He was kind of that guy within our fraternity. And I, on the other hand, was—I came into college. I was the youth group like hero, and I was still trying to live out that dream, although it was failing because I like wasn't a part of any ministry or church. It was like me and Jesus, which is always a recipe for disaster. C.S. Lewis used to say, "I have my worst temptations when I'm alone." That's why God gave Adam Eve. But just, so here I was in this kind of Christian phase. And I remember I'd come back one weekend from this Christian music festival. And for whatever reason, this was when the Calvin and Hobbes stickers were popular. I don't know if you remember these. But it was basically the, the secular version was Calvin and Hobbes uh, peeing on like a Ford symbol or a Chevy symbol. It was really kind of a dumb season of life in general. This was the late 90s, early 2000s, which was a dark time for a lot of us. And so I bought a sticker, though, the Christian version. You know, like sometimes, we'll just, can we just not make Christian versions of secular things? Like, like I remember Abercrombie and Fitch was a breadcrumb and fish. This is just pain, like a painful, there are so many painful Christian t-shirts. But I had this Calvin st- sticker that I put on my door, because I wanted people to know I was a real Christian, that had Calvin kneeling at a cross. And I remember... I would shut that door, and I was like, this is my witness, <laughs> which is so stupid. <laughs> but I never wanted to talk to him. Like, so I literally, my doors across from Brett's, and I, like, I would shut that door. I wanted nothing to do with him. I had no idea how to engage him. I had no idea how to talk to him, and I really thought I was so much better that he wasn't worth me talking to him. And the saddest thing happened. He was two years younger than me. My sister came through Carolina, and his senior year, my sister was probably a sophomore. They were at a party. And he probably had a little too much, but he was being honest with my sister. And he said, you know, I hate your brother. Because I would come back and I would look at the way your brother looked at me. And I would feel like the dirtiest human being on earth. And I like dagger in my heart. So one option for this one is to judge her. The other option is kind of, so it's hard, it's easy to be pure to think that you have it to, you know, to, to have to, to be serious about holiness, to be serious about God, but not all gracious. That people actually feel nothing but judged by you. That people, when they when you walk around, people are like, oh, please, the smugness is unbearable. Or the other option is to join her. So, student, this is a long time ago, in we at a different school, and he was one of the only guys that would actually bring like. Like people who weren't Christians to RUF And he was, he was really good at it He would just invite people all the time and they would come But then he had a really hard time He did this split thing where he had a hard time He would kind of pretend he was one person in RUF And then he would be a totally different person when he was with that scene He had a deep, deep approval Like a lot of us, a deep, deep approval idol And so he, would, he just joined Right? So he, whatever they were doing, he would do If they were you know, partying, he would party If they were you know, sort of hooking up, he would hook up He would do whatever it was they were doing, he would do It's easy to be gracious but not pure Right? It's easy to sort of just, in the name of evangelism, in the name of you know, dating evangelism, like I'm going to date this person and win them to Jesus, and really, it's just, it's just not a good idea. But this idea of you know, judging or joining, and what we see point two is that Jesus goes a different way. Because here's the deal, it's hard to be both. One of the hardest things in your life and my life is to be both pure and gracious, to be both pure in our motivation and love for the Lord, and serious about holiness, and gracious with people, because we know we're nothing but broken, and all we bring to our salvation is our sin. That we're just as jacked up as the next person. And this is what Jesus does. He's both pure and gracious. So look at it. look at what He does. Just the way four things that Jesus does. There's kind of four things that kept barriers in the life of this woman that kept people like Jesus from engaging her. But look at what Jesus does. Four things that He does that are incredible. First, is He breaks the barriers. He doesn't see someone of the wrong race. He doesn't see someone of the wrong religion. He doesn't see someone of the wrong gender. He doesn't see someone with so much sin he can't bear to be around her. What he sees is a human being whose soul is thirsty for salvation. What he sees is someone thirsty for the gospel. He, and he breaks those barriers in beautiful ways. Look what he, if you look at the passage, it's so beautiful what he does. Not only does he engage her and talk to her, sits with her, he also drinks from her cup. Like, this is one of the things I think sealed, I like to think this sealed the deal with my, with my wife and I. We were at, a, at the movies, and one of our first kind of, it wasn't even a date, we were just hanging out with friends. And I remember she bought a Coke, and I was like, can I have a sip of that Coke? And I had a sip of that Coke, and then she had a sip of that Coke, and it was like, we are headed toward marriage. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not really true, but it's a humanizing thing that Jesus does. is she says, you don't have a jar, and he says, let me have a sip of your jar. And that in that moment, it communicates something deep. I see you, is what he's saying. No one sees you. Everyone judges you or wants to sleep with you. That's why the disciples are... Let's be honest. The disciples are shocked because what has been going on between Jesus and this woman? She's got a reputation. That's, why the, that's part of why the disciples are shocked. Here's this man. He doesn't want to sleep with me. He doesn't want to use me. And yet he's not too good for me. He's actually talking to me. First, he breaks barriers. Second, he makes himself vulnerable. He says, and this is beautiful in its own right. The Son of God saying, "I am thirsty and I'm tired. I've been walking all day. It's hot. Can I have some water?" He lets her serve him. He lets her in. This is—if you want to know, take away anything from tonight. If you want to know, one of the most one of the things I get frustrated the most in myself and with fellow Christians and the way we think about evangelism is the way that we think we have everything to give, and we we kind of act like we've got it together. You don't have it together, so let me help you get it together. And can I just say that that's not the gospel? Because the gospel is, I don't have it together. You don't have it together. I'm in the same club. And I desperately need someone to save me. I desperately need someone to be the good, bring the good news into my life. It's funny, my relationship, you know, I've, I've mentioned before in REF that I've got a pretty broken relationship with my dad. And my dad would not consider himself a Christian, and, and I became a Christian right before high school. And so we've had this struggle. Like, I've, I've tried different things, different methods, trying to... I remember one time I was like, Will you read this book, this Christian book. And he was like, I'll read this if you read my book. And I was like, no, I will not read that devil book, which was a foolish mistake. And I remember, you know, and, I, and trying to do this evangelism class in seminary. I was like, here are five questions to get you thinking about your soul. And he was like, "Answer them. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, so I don't really know where to go from here. You know the thing that's broke through the most where you've had the best conversations about the gospel? Is me letting him into my brokenness, both with depression and with sexual brokenness, and saying, Dad, here's where I am. This is what I'm struggling with. And literally, this week, probably two summers ago, we had this conversation because we had a connecting point. You know what that connecting point was? Need. I'm a human being in need. And even though Jesus doesn't need salvation, he does need as a human being, and he lets her serve him. He lets her in. Three, he makes himself vulnerable. Three, He discusses her background and religion incredibly respectfully. There's not an era of, you know, part of what's hard in living in 2014 is, you know, I was at the gym today, Fox News is on one channel, MSNBC, CNN's on another channel. You know, it's sort of, we don't, we miss each other. We're constantly missing each other. And we're constantly doing straw versions of each other. We're constantly saying, I'm going to make you into what I think you are and what you believe as a liberal or as a conservative. That way I don't have to actually know you. That way I don't have to actually learn about you. That way I don't have to actually engage you as, I don't know, a human being made in God's image. And because of that fact alone, whatever your politics, whatever your gender, whatever your sexual orientation, whatever, 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 worthy of the love of God and in need, broken. By sin. And, and Jesus does this. When he talks. When he has the worship conversation. He does it incredibly gently. And, and respectfully. Which is the fourth thing that he does. Is he treats her with gentleness and grace. Even when he brings up. He, he brings up in love. Her past. But do you notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't make her go into extreme detail about it. To explain it. He, he literally he brings it up. Enough for, so that she knows that he knows. And then he drops it. He doesn't hold it over. He doesn't sort of say these are the five things you need to do. Here's how you need to particular. He brings it up with gentleness and grace. You know, my, I mentioned the fraternity thing. My junior year, this is one of my favorite stories from college, just about the grace of Jesus. Because Jesus, in the same way he meets this woman, he meets us today. There's a girl my junior year who she was a freshman. She kind of came to campus, and she was a part of the kind of fraternity sorority scene, and she got a reputation really fast as the girl who made her way around the fraternities and would really sleep with anyone, anywhere kind of a deal. And I remember we were at this party. It was a field party, and and she was there, and she was really wasted, and, and these guys were just this one guy in particular, you know, was taking her into the woods just to take advantage. And I remember thinking, like, we would sort of, in our worst moments, we would kind of look at her and feel, too, you judge her, but also sort of laugh because who, you know, what is she doing? She's got it, she's so not got it together. She's that girl. That literally is my junior year. Senior year, don't really have any more interactions, forget about it. So I'm a, I'm a senior in seminary, and we have a couch we're trying to sell so we can move to Statesboro, Georgia. We sell this couch to this... We don't know... It's through one of my aunts. There's a seminary couple who's... They're about to start seminary. And that's all we know about them. They're going somewhere in North Carolina. And we don't know them at all. But my aunt does. But they want to buy our couch. And we think, great. We're trying to get rid of them. So they literally meet us on a Saturday afternoon. And they pull up. And get out of the truck. And it's the girl. And, like, you could have, have like pushed me over with, like, a gummy worm. <laughs> We're making that a thing. <laughs> because of the work of Jesus in her life. And she told her story. She said, you know, when I got to college, I was a wreck. I was so broken in so many ways. But you know who I met? Jesus. And instead of judging me, or instead of just kind of condoning what I was doing, he met me in the same way that he meets this woman. You know what this woman says that changed her life about Jesus? She goes in to tell the people, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Do you know what she's saying? Come meet a man who knows all the worst about me and yet loves me and wants me. This is the third thing I want you to see. This is the last thing I want you to see. So it's easy to be pure but not gracious. It's easy to be gracious but not pure. It's hard as anything to be gracious and pure. That's what Jesus says. The good news for us tonight is that's the way he relates to us tonight. I don't know what you know about Jesus. If you think he's too good for you, he's too good for me to bring him my brokenness. No, it's not true. He's gracious. Jesus doesn't really care about all this stuff that I'm kind of sketchily doing. No, he does. He's pure. But the way he's going to engage you, the way he's going to encounter, the way he's going to love you is to be both in your life. And the beautiful thing, is, the last thing we see, is if you belong to him, he's making you both. How do you know you've actually encountered the real Jesus? You're becoming both more pure. You're fighting sin. You're repenting more kind of hard and seriously than you ever have in your life. Particular things that you know have need to be dealt with in your heart and life. But you're also growing in graciousness. People can tell that you're you're gentle that when you look at them, you don't have the eyes of, oh, I'm so much better than you. You have the eyes of compassion. I get you. And here's the thing. If, you, if you're not growing in both, you're not walking with Jesus. If you're not growing, if you're not having deepening convictions about your own personal holiness of heart, too, that your behavior, like, it's not just your behavior. It has everything to do with your pride. It has everything to do with the, the motivation, your selfishness. The way that you make everything about you. It has everything to do with your heart, too, when we talk about purity. We are also growing in graciousness. What I love about John is, you know who the most successful evangelist in the book of John is? It's not Nicodemus. It's not even the disciples. It will be in Acts. It's this woman. Literally, if you read the passage at the end, she goes to town and tells them about Jesus, the way he met her, and the way he was gracious and gentle with her. And they begin they flocking to him. So here's a question I want to end with these two questions Where are you pure but not gracious? Let me just talk to you from, from the heart for a second. Do you think God loves you because you've never had sex, never gotten drunk, don't cuss, however you define cussing, don't watch certain movies? Don't do certain... Do you really think God loves you because of your good behavior? My friend, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand what Paul says when he says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You know who the worst sinner is that you know? Yourself. Why? Because you're the only one that knows your heart. You and Jesus. Where are you pure but not gracious? And the other question is, where are you gracious but not pure? Where are the places in your life that you sort of want Jesus to be cool with? You sort of want Jesus to kind of bless. And yet, because he loves you and because he knows it's not good for you, he's saying, listen, bring it to me and let's begin walking a different direction. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would meet us in these ways tonight. We pray that you would... Be the one who has even the same kind of conversation that you had with this woman. uh, That you would have that conversation with us tonight. We pray these things in your name. Amen.